This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about how you can save some money for you and your wallet when it comes to bringing your dog or cat into the ER Vet. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, Dr. Justine Lee. Do you know what I love? My cat, Lola. What I love about her is whenever I take a nap, or go to sleep, she always wants to snuggle right up against me. You know what I don't love? Cleaning up after Lola's litter box, which is why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. There's no clouds of nasties when I scoop. It's 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, and helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about ways that you can potentially save money at your ER vet. Now, don't get me wrong. There are scenarios where your dog or cat may need to be hospitalized for days in a 24-7 facility. And this is really important because it is basically providing your dog or cat life-saving care. But I will say at the ER vet, I treat about 50% of my patients on an outpatient basis. What does that mean? That's a fancy way of saying 50% of the time, my dogs and cats are going home right after their ER visit. Now, in situations where they need life-saving care, they have internal bleeding, they're having difficulty breathing, they got into something poisonous, I need to flush out their kidneys because they're going to go into kidney failure, they have a life-threatening intestinal obstruction, or they need surgery to get something stuck out of their stomach. These are situations where your dog or cat needs to typically stay overnight for several days. If it's a diabetic complication like diabetes ketoacidosis, if your dog or cat has profuse vomiting, these situations definitely need to be hospitalized. And again, it can be quite costly. Oftentimes at some specialty hospitals, it's approximately $1,000 a night. And I want you to be cognizant of that because it is really important that we be able to provide appropriate care for your dog or cat. There are family members that are four-legged, so we want to make sure we take care of them. In a previous episode, I had talked to Dr. Ernie Ward about getting pet insurance. I will say vets don't get a kickback for this, but only 5 to 10% of pet-owning Dog and cat owners out there in the United States carry pet insurance. It's almost in the single digits. And this is totally different than other countries. The United Kingdom has almost 40% of pets covered under pet insurance. Why do we care? You should know that pet insurance acts very differently than human health insurance. In other words, it's a third-party carrier. In other words, you pay your vet bill directly to your vet, and then you get reimbursed 
from the insurance company later. So it's a little bit different than human medicine. When in doubt, make sure you research it appropriately. But I am such an advocate of pet insurance because it provides you the opportunity to provide the best care for your dog or cat without the stress of worrying about those expensive emergency bills. I will also tell you, I looked into it for my own dog when my dog turned 10. And as you can imagine, just like certain types of life insurance for humans, the older you are, the more expensive it is. The older your dog is or the older your cat is, pet insurance is going to be a lot more expensive because that's when we start seeing medical problems such as cancer or end organ issues. So my recommendation is talk to your family veterinarian and consider getting pet insurance earlier. You want one that has a high reimbursement rate, typically 90%. And I generally say you want to pay more for a deductible so you have lower premiums. So definitely worth doing your research, but that's the first way you can help protect yourself and your pet from costly ER visits. We're talking about how you can potentially save some money and your wallet when it comes to visiting the ER vet. We've already talked about getting pet insurance, but what are the next big things? Well, the second thing is preventative care. I have done a previous ER vet episode on parvovirus. A dog getting parvovirus nowadays is the same thing as you getting cholera. When was the last time you heard of someone getting cholera? You haven't, and it's because of vaccines. Parvovirus is almost 99% preventable with appropriate vaccination. The biggest mistake I see people making is when they adopt or rescue a dog from Craigslist or their neighbor, they think because that dog got one shot that they're protected. I'm going to give you a little newsflash. One vaccine does not protect your dog or cat. If you've ever had a child, a human child, you have to go to the pediatrician every couple of weeks. And that's because of the way that the body's immune system works. The first vaccine triggers the immune system to respond to the second vaccine and the third vaccine and the fourth vaccine. So it's really important, especially if you're bringing a new puppy or kitten into your household, that they be appropriately vaccinated, typically starting at about five to six weeks, depending on when you get the puppy or kitten. And they're going to need a vaccine every three to four weeks till typically 14 to 16 weeks of age. This is especially important in certain breeds of dogs that are more at risk for parvovirus, such as pit bulls, Alaskan sled dogs, Labrador retrievers, German shepherds, Rottweilers, and Dobermans. So make sure to tune into that previous episode on parvovirus on ER Vet on Pet Life Radio for more information. That's why preventative care is so important. During the summer, in the emergency room, I hospitalize one parvo patient a week. And typically, they're hospitalized for four to five days, which costs about three to $5,000, depending on where you live. Well, you could have avoided that really costly visit if you just made sure that your dog or cat underwent appropriate preventative care. Lyme disease. This is so important because I live in Minnesota and there are 13 states that have so much Lyme disease, typically in the Northeast, Southeast, and the Midwest region. Lyme disease can actually result in really severe chronic or acute arthritis. And that Lyme disease agent, what we call Borrelia, can hide in the body for a really long time. In certain breeds of dogs, such as golden retrievers, 
Labrador retrievers, and rarely Shetland sheepdogs, we can see a really rare type of kidney failure from untreated Lyme disease. So this is called Lyme nephritis. I've had a previous episode on ER Vet about Lyme disease, so make sure to tune into that one. But we can help prevent this life-threatening kidney complications from Lyme disease with appropriate preventative care. If you live in an area where there's ticks, you may not take your dog hiking, but they can still go into the backyard. So you always want to talk to your veterinarian about whether or not your dog should get the Lyme vaccine. And you need, again, two vaccines to make that vaccine work. Paying for that first Lyme vaccine and never coming back three to four weeks later for the second vaccine means the first vaccine didn't do anything. So appropriate preventative care. Your vet isn't trying to price gouge you. They're trying to prevent any kind of infectious disease complication from happening. They're trying to prevent Lyme disease in your dog. I also want to make sure my dog or cat are on quick killing tick medication. My cat is indoor. He escapes once in a while where I frantically have to go chase him. And even though my cat spends 99% of his life inside, he's still on a flea and tick medication because I'm so worried about bringing fleas into the house or about that life-threatening tick complication we can see. So I like using an oral flea and tick medication for my dog that's going to kill those fleas and ticks really quickly. Now, again, I'm based out of the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and we have a really cold winter for six months out of the year. So I typically don't start my flea and tick medication until March or April, and I continue it until a hard frost, typically October. If you live in an area like the Southeast United States, Central United States in the South where it's warm, you may need this year round. So really important to have appropriate preventative care. That's also gonna save you in the long run when it comes to really costly diseases. We'll be right back with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Has your pet ever suffered from digestive issues, anxiety, or joint pain? We want to address these issues and more with high-grade CBD oil from Alpha, made specifically for your furry friends. Using Alaskan salmon oil as a carrier, Alpha Pet's 500 CBD oil is lab-tested for quality, consistency, and safety. Plus, we are giving Pet Life Radio listeners 25% off and free shipping with code PL25 for a limited time. So visit myalphacbd.com slash dogs now. That's myalphacbd.com forward slash dogs. Because your furry friends are family. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. What are some other ways we can potentially save some money in the ER at the ER vet? Well, one way is by asking your ER vet if your dog or cat can get by with subcutaneous fluids versus intravenous fluids. Now, I already mentioned if your dog or cat is profusely vomiting, it needs its kidneys flushed out, it needs intravenous or IV fluids. But 
in certain scenarios where your dog or cat is just a little bit dehydrated, maybe they vomited a couple of times, I'm going to send them home, they can potentially get by with subcutaneous fluids. And that's when we give half a liter or a liter of fluids, depending on how big your pet is. And we give those fluids under the skin. So your dog's going to have this big lump or your cat's going to have this big lump underneath the shoulder skin. And that will slowly absorb over the next couple of hours to help hydrate your dog. A lot cheaper than having to be hospitalized on IV fluids, but it's not as effective because it's really slowly absorbed and it can only be used on stable patients. If your dog's not stable, your cat has a low blood pressure, your cat cannot get sub-Q fluids. That's not an option. But when in doubt, if you have financial limitations, you can always ask your ER vet, can I do sub-Q fluids instead of IV fluids instead? The other way of potentially being able to save money is doing in-house versus send out blood work. Now, I'll fill you in on a little secret. The majority of family practitioners send out their blood work. In other words, they'll draw blood work on your dog or cat today. We send it out to a lab, so we might not get the results till the very end of the day or the next morning. And that's totally normal, and that's totally appropriate. However, in most ER vets or specialty clinics, we run blood work in-house because there are emergency, life-saving situations, and I need to get those results within the next one to two hours. In-house blood work is more expensive because we have to pay tens of thousands of dollars for machines that can read this blood work in an accurate way. If your dog or cat is mostly stable, you can potentially ask the ER vet and say, is it less expensive if the blood work is sent out and I get the results tomorrow versus doing it in-house? That is one option that we offer the clinic that I work at. So most of the time, I prefer to do the blood work in-house because again, if you're coming into the ER, we want to find out those results right away just to make sure it's not an acute problem, like acute kidney failure or something more serious going on. The next way you can potentially save money is when it comes to diagnostic tests. There are some expensive diagnostic tests that we do in ER vets or at specialty clinics. And one of them is an abdominal ultrasound. This is a really important test I do every single day. Well, in full disclosure, I don't actually do it. Our board certified radiologist does it. I do level one ultrasounds. That's a really rapid ultrasound that is designed for me to look for fluid. But if it's something more complex, I'm gonna make sure our board certified radiologist is doing this. Now, I'm gonna fill you in and say that most of the time throughout the United States, this is gonna cost anywhere between $300 to $500 for a specialist to do an ultrasound. But this test is so important. Doing an ultrasound is different than doing abdominal x-rays. Your vet typically has the ability to do x-rays in their clinic, but some vets don't have the ability to do an ultrasound. They may not have an ultrasound. They may not have a radiologist immediately there. The difference between x-rays and ultrasound are really important to be aware of because sometimes we need both. X-rays are typically a few hundred dollars, two to $300. So an ultrasound's a little bit more expensive. Now, if you've ever had a pregnancy sonogram or you've attended one of your partner, you can see it doesn't hurt at all. We're just putting some jelly on the abdomen. Most of the time we're shaving the fur first. And we're looking at the inside of what's going on in the abdomen or the chest, wherever we're ultrasounding. Doesn't hurt your dog or cat at all, but they will have a shaved belly. And we will have to sometimes sedate a dog or cat for this. But what we're trying to look at when we do an ultrasound is we're looking at the architecture of the organs. With x-rays, we're looking at the gas pattern. We're looking at the size. We're looking at the bone density. We're looking at a lot of information on an x-ray. 
but I can't see what's going on specifically within the spleen or liver or kidneys without doing that sonogram. So when am I going to do these more expensive tests? If I'm worried your dog or cat has cancer, I may start with x-rays first, but I may need to do an ultrasound next. So where can we potentially save money? If you have a scenario where your dog is vomiting and the initial x-rays look suspicious that there could be a corn cob stuck in there, or there could be some type of cloth foreign body in there, but we're not 100% positive, a lot of times your veterinarian may refer you to a specialty hospital for an ultrasound. And I know it sounds expensive to pay that ER fee and pay that ultrasound, but I promise you that may be more cost effective than going to surgery. I oftentimes will do ultrasound or have a radiologist do ultrasound to see if they can find the foreign body, to see if they can see how big it is, to see if it may potentially pass. Because rarely, sometimes we can medically manage foreign bodies. Maybe your dog ate something small and it may pass over the next few days. If it's big, like a corn cob, it may need surgery. And the longer we wait, the more dangerous it is to the intestines. So I know it sounds like these tests can be expensive, but they can potentially save you money and save your dog or cat from an invasive surgery that could be expensive if that foreign body could have potentially passed on its own. So when in doubt, always talk to your ER vet about what options you have. We're trying to work with you as best we can to make sure that your dog or cat gets the best care while working within your financial limitations. But Always keep in mind, you always want to talk to your veterinarian about potentially getting pet insurance. Do the research and see if that's a good option for you. Make sure you're implementing preventative care, such as appropriate vaccination schedules, making sure your dog is protected for Lyme disease, making sure your pets are on flea and tick medication, making sure your dog and cat is on heartworm medication so they don't get this rare disease that's spread by mosquito that can be fatal without treatment talking to your veterinarian about different options, whether or not it's using subcutaneous fluids versus IV fluids, whether or not it's doing certain diagnostic tests, in-house blood work versus sending out that blood work, whether or not it's doing x-rays or ultrasound. Keep in mind that we want you to avoid an ER visit too. If you could work with your family practitioner, that's ideally what we want you to do. But in life-threatening situations, it is imperative that your dog or cat be seen at the ER vet so we can best determine the best way to save and take care of your pet. Well, that brings me to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.